Earful of Leadership is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host, and the content of this podcast is not meant to provide any legal or medical advice. Hello, listeners. It has been a pleasure to start the Earful of Leadership podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. And thank you to the military mentors for the inspiration to start this show. This episode will be the final episode of season one. We've learned so much from our guests and we hope that you have too. We'll be back for season two later this year. If you have anything that you're interested in learning about, feel free to reach out to us and we'll see if there's anything we can do to make it happen. As always, we're all ears. Hi, and welcome to the Earful of Leadership podcast. We're so glad you're here. We're joined today by Gary Coleman, Clinical Director of Walker Physical Therapy, and we are going to talk today about leadership and advice for new leaders. Welcome, Gary. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Happy to have you on. I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation with you. As am I. Great. <laughs> Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to being the clinical director? Absolutely. Uh, Growing up, I was an athlete. Basketball uh, was my life, and I fully intended on playing professionally um, until um, God got a hold of me, and I went a different direction, thankfully. Um, At the end of my senior year, I was asked to go work as an aide. We called them aides back then for a physical therapist. And it was such a nice marriage between that uh, and being an athlete that uh, I just couldn't wait to get to college. Went to college, went to Loma Linda, graduated. Um, My first job, I was there about four years. um, And the owner came to me and said, okay, I want you to be a supervisor now. Mm. I had absolutely zero interest in it. It was one of those things I was kind of thrust into, and that was a bit of the history even previously in college. So I did it because she told me, um, didn't, wasn't terribly intentional about it, Hmm. um, but did it, allowed her to mentor me a little bit. Um, And then every job I have had since has been in leadership, Hmm. none of which I have sought. Oh, interesting. It, yes, except this last job where I have been at now for 12 years. Hmm. Um, subsequent to that first job, um, I became director at three other clinics. I was there five years each. And then prior to coming where I am now, I received a call from John Walker, who is the owner of the clinic. He and I were classmates. We worked together as aides. Hmm. And he said, hey, do you know anybody that's interested in coming and being the director here? And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go again. (laughs) So um, I was in the process of uh, getting engaged and getting married Mm -hmm. and was going to move. And I said, well, John, I'll do it. (laughs) Um, And truthfully, that was one of the best decisions I've made. Mm. Um, And that brought me here. And truly the growth curve here because it is such a large dynamic staff demographic that we treat. Um, the growth curve has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, there mm-hmm. is not a day that goes by that I am not challenged. Um, I didn't think that was really good initially, 
but I <laughs> realize, you know, from the challenge comes the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's where I'm at, mm-hmm. briefly. Right. Thank you for sharing. I find that really fascinating that you didn't actually pursue those leadership roles early on until this point later in your career. And you have been a physical therapist for 33 years. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. And in a leadership role for 28 of those years. Yes. Wow. So that's quite a long time and a lot of experience. What has been the most rewarding and challenging parts of your job? Uh, the, the growth is always a challenge. Um, and there is obviously an intimate relationship between those two. I have learned both from an athlete and as a leader, the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. Um, and I didn't always appreciate that. And I remember last year, just a brief story, um, at Kobe Bryant's funeral. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. happened to see that. But Rob Palenka, who is, was a friend of Kobe's, and Rob Palenka is the general manager of the Lakers. Mm. He and Kobe were friends, and Kobe had, had written a children's book and won awards mm. for it. So at the funeral, Rob Palenka tells a story that Kobe had given him this book. Mm. And Robert Palenka takes it home, he opens it up, and inside, Kobe had written to him, he says, Dear Rob, he says, Remember to enjoy the journey, especially when it's difficult. Mm. And I immediately went to work, put that up on my quote board. um, And that pretty much defines where I've been at for the last 12 years. Mm. Uh, When it's difficult, especially during this COVID era. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that quote. And remember, this is where the growth is coming from. Mm -hmm. So to specifically answer your question, number one has been managing the COVID. Keeping the dynamic of keeping staff safe, keeping patients safe, mm-hmm. uh, managing the fears associated with it, mm-hmm. um, communicating to everybody involved, constant changes uh, that the CDC was giving us. So literally there was not a day go by that we didn't have to adjust somehow. Mm-hmm. So I would say that is number one. This has been the most difficult year of my career. And I think I will, in retrospect, look back and think it was also uh, probably one of the best because we've overcame and we're we're thriving. Mm -hmm. We've kept our group together. We, and I should add, during that, this last year, we lost uh, my friend and one of my colleagues for what we've had here for 10 years. We lost him from COVID. Mm, I'm so, so sorry. that was, thank you. That was, you know, part of that picture that I think probably sheds a little more light on it. Mm-hmm. And and I think to, to piggyback on that, the, the other challenge is for me as a leader is, is expressing on a consistent basis, my appreciation of our people. I mean, we've got a mm-hmm. 25, 30 people staff. Mm-hmm who I want to, sh- you know, make sure they, they know daily they are welcome, they're appreciated, mm-hmm. without saying those words, but showing it. Um, and, and that's challenged me to be a, a bit creative and intentional in, in doing that. Mm-hmm. I think the other, I, I would say one more challenge in our 
profession and probably most people would say this is, is now and then I have to deal with unhealthy people mm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the most draining part of what I do because you can't, you know, they were unable to, to have rational conversations, healthy conversations to find solutions. Um, and then finding the, the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I've had to call the police before, and you know, it, it it can can be interesting. So on a staff uh, member, uh, no, on patients. Oh, on patients. Oh my yeah, goodness. Uh, patients, yeah. Oh wow. We have you know about forty percent of our demographics is seniors. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's depression, mm-hmm. and there is sometimes unhealthiness with that, mm-hmm. uh, and their world tends to shrink. So still learning how to navigate those challenges. It's, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be. Well, part of why I wanted to talk to you first and foremost is because I respect so much of how you are as a leader and professionally, and I really admire that, but also in this role of being in healthcare, and I see how much you care and give for your patients and it is wonderful, but also exhausting because you have to be fully present and care for them and give them so much compassion and empathy. And then at the same time, be that excellent leader for your staff. And you mentioned you have 25 to 30 staff members. That's a lot to manage, a lot of different personalities and emotion and support to give as well. So just you have my full respect and admiration for dealing with that um, and dealing with, with the schedule. Uh, of of patient care as well. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, in that role of being a leader, and I I'm still just I I'm struck and fascinated that you haven't actually pursued those positions prior to this, but I know that you do a lot of reading and research and educating yourself to be the the best version of yourself. So, what in your opinion is leadership? Uh, in a word, influence. Um, and I've searched for that for a long time. Um, and something I, I came upon in in my reading, and as soon as I read it, it it I do it was true. And it is at the end of the day, it's influence that capacity to um, guide people towards growth, um, guide them to improve character, improvement, ability. Um, and then eventually bring them, bringing them to a place through your influence where you unite. I mean, as a leader, you need your people to unite around a common goal or purpose or mission. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it is you using your influence to bring them to this mission. So this mission matters to them. Mm-hmm. It, they own it. It matters to them. Um, and the true question is, what are the tools of influence? Mm-hmm. And that might be actually what you're asking me. <laughs> so <laughs> would that be fair to say? I guess what I'm asking is like, what in your opinion is leadership? But yes, then the follow on then is how do you perform that? So what are the tools that you yeah. would then motivate and bring people together? Yeah. Everybody's different. Um, 
the tools I that work for me and have worked for me historically uh, would be number one modeling. I want them to see in me the person I want them to be within their personality in terms of work ethic, compassion towards others, um, um, intellectual curiosity. Hmm. Um, there is nothing I would have them do that I haven't already done and don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so modeling to me personally is important. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of coaching, and that's mm-hmm. just from the athletic background. Um, coaching skills, um, even coaching attitudes. Um, that's certainly a big part of it. Um, I practice, and this is a big one, for, I, I call it clarity. There's probably a better word for it. But I really strive to create a very clear expectation to them, um, both as in terms of their caring for our patients, um, their compassion for our patients, the quality of their ability, um, and how I expect them to manage their day and treat their people. I try mm-hmm. to be very clear on that. So mm-hmm. then when I have to have those other conversations, um, I know that that has been clearly laid out. Mm-hmm. I am not a bang over the head person. I am not a threaten. Um, I'm not even a briber. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the old carrot and the stick. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to weed the people out that need that in the interviews. Mm. Um, How do you determine that? In the interview. Yeah, it's not an exact science. <laughs> we, um, John and I, you know, we talk now and then, and, and we, look, we get fooled. Mm. But the more interviews you do, you do pick up on traits. Uh, resumes, they give themselves away sometimes in resumes. Mm. Um, yeah, I wish I could really give you a clearly defined ABC for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of it, I think, is intuitive. Mm. Or some red flags. Red yeah. flags, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So based on all of that that you've shared, how would you describe your leadership style? Uh, I think t- to answer that, I kind of got to tell you a little about about who I am. Okay. On a deeper level. So I am by nature, as you know, an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I am firmly, when, when I kind of move some of our people over the years, not here but elsewhere, even into leadership, I said, number one, you've got to be true to who you are. You have to be authentic. And I strive for that. So I had always felt like that introversion was a negative mm. as a leader. I always thought it was the rah-rah, the motivators, the uh, dynamic personalities who were the good leaders until I read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, which was mm. in, a, in a, a wonderful study on introverts. Mm. And I came to realize that my unique traits as an introvert are my superpowers as a leader. 
So, um, number one, introverts tend to allow others to shine and to be their center of attention. Extroverts just can't go there as a rule. So I'm very comfortable letting my people be the center of attention to succeed, or at least I strive to. Um, and I think that's appreciated. Um, I don't, I, I don't need to be the guy being person being praised or the center of attention or any of that. I want them to be that. Um, introverts tend to be very intuitive. And for me, that I would say is truly my superpower. And I had to develop that. Mm. Um, and I'm going to get a little personal here. I'll probably mm -hmm. regret it later. <laughs> um, growing up, I had a, a, a very verbally abusive father. Mm. I had to learn quickly how to read him in about 10 seconds. Mm. So when he would come home, whenever it was, I had to know within 10 seconds where he was at. So mm. I didn't know, okay, do I engage with him? Do I run and hide in my room? Do I say hi? And I had to pick that up just from when he walked in the room. Mm. And that was how I grew up. That's how I survived mm. in, that, in that world. Mm -hmm. So you develop, I, I call it my superpower now. And I got that from the book uh, called, um, I'm going to draw a blank on it now. Um, super anyway it'll come to me later and it, the author had done a lot of research on it um and it fit it mm. totally fit and i um i use that a lot i can walk into a room and i think a lot of inter introverts i speak to share this mm. i can pretty much read a room within about 30 seconds with some level of accuracy mm. and i think that helps in dealing with staff i kind of know when our staff walks in the door where they're at Okay. And I can't put it into words. It's nothing mm. metaphysical by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a combination of body language, knowing these people, mm -hmm. paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I use, I use those tools quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I really express the importance of intellectual curiosity to me, that is, I use that a lot. Um, I try to model that. I try to speak to that on almost every meeting we have. I value that next to integrity. That's probably number two on my list because that mm -hmm. implies growth. It implies interest, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I think is a, a rough sketch of my leadership style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can certainly attest to your abilities as an introvert and your intuition and reading people well. And also I would add that I think it comes from a place of, of true empathy and compassion because you actually do care about people and how they're doing and wanting them to do well beyond just them being a performer at the job and performing their job well. You know, you truly care about people. So I think that's what makes it an actual superpower because it has purpose and meaning, not just means to an end. Thank you. I think it's authentic. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't have to pretend to do it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I wish I could be, uh, you know, that 
that motivator that there are some leaders I'll listen to some podcasts and I listen to them talk to me and I can't wait to get going. That's <laughs> not me. And I, I've, I've tried that a couple of times and I'm like, I, I just can't lean into that. <laughs> not, not my skill set. So mm -hmm. I really admire that, that ability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what has helped you the most in developing as a great leader? Boy, great question. Um, this is going to sound a bit odd, but unfortunately, other than my first boss, I haven't really had a strong mentor, mm. which is probably a different story than you typically hear. Um, even when I came here, John and I were more, and we were classmates. So it, it wasn't really a mentor relationship. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I am an avid reader. Um, I, uh, my wife um, teases me because I'm always in the middle of about four or five books. Mm -hmm. She does <laughs> not understand how I can. So my mentors were and have been authors, mm -hmm. leaders of biographies, military and otherwise. Uh, I'm fascinated by great leaders and their, their character, their traits there. The goods, the bads. Mm -hmm. We all, you know, we all have the good and the bad, and the weak and the strong. Mm -hmm. um, but books and authors and and people in history have been my mentors and have learned. Number one, and then number two, Nikki, you do something for twenty five years, and if you're paying attention and trying to improve, you're going to. If you're leaning into it with humility and a desire to learn, um, you're going to learn. And I tell our therapists here, the day you feel like you know everything there is to know, you need to quit. You need to leave. Mm -hmm. And that certainly applies to learning because there's not a day goes by. I don't learn something, usually from something I, you know, probably could have done better. Mm-hmm. That's true. So kind of on that thread, I, I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And I think that it's motivational because we've talked a lot on the Earful of Leadership podcast about seeking mentorship and getting that professional advice. And I'm in this new role of leadership where I really don't know many people. The mentors and those that I can rely on are in a different time zone. So it's just nice to know that someone has found such success with reading books and listening to podcasts and using those resources to continue to develop yourself. But ultimately it comes down to that point of self-awareness, being aware enough of who you are and how you relate with others in the workplace and then making those changes because maybe you're not having that relationship with someone else to give you that external feedback and tell you what could be done differently. So as much as we seek those resources, we also have to be willing to be reflective enough and speak that hard truth to ourselves. Amen. There's mm -hmm. a, some wonderful podcasts out there also. Mm -hmm. and there's so much. And back to another Kobe Bryant quote. <laughs> Not that I only read Kobe Bryant, but he said after he had um, retired from basketball um, and he was moving into his second career as an author, as a uh, producer, he says there is no excuse for you not to know almost everything about what you're going into. Because the access we have to information and books, etc., um, is 
exponentially greater than it was 30 years ago when I actually had to pull out an encyclopedia to look something up. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Right. No excuses. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, is there anything that you would have done differently professionally? Yes. Uh, I would have been more intentional from day one about my leadership. I think those first five to probably 10 years, I was, I think because of immaturity and it wasn't a passion at the time. Um, I wasn't really intentional about it. Um, it was more related to position. I'm in position and I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, and if you don't do it, I'll show you how to do it better, et cetera. Um, and then somewhere in the, I decided I wanted to be a leader that's not a leader because of the position, but rather because of the character and who they are as a person. And, and there's a distinct difference. I would mm -hmm. have started that process much earlier because I, I think I missed out um, and probably shortchanged some people initially that could have, could have benefited. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that would be the, the biggest but I regret no other mistakes. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I can certainly, certainly relate to feeling like I have a desire to be more intentional in being a young and new leader, but maybe not feeling equipped for it or still feeling a bit reactionary to things that are happening in the workplace and still getting accustomed to that role. So I think that that would probably be a very common experience for new and young leaders to, to not really be sure in their role and how to be intentional and support their staff and, and being in that leadership role. Agreed. So along that note, we, we've talked a lot about your experience to where you are now and the things that you've learned about yourself and how you've interpreted those skills to now see them as superpowers. And it's really laid that foundation for your experience. As a clinic director, what advice do you have for new leaders being in charge of a di diverse group of individuals? I touched on it a little bit earlier, um, but I believe number one is you do have to work on being authentic, and that comes from spending some time getting to know you, um, doing the work to get under the surface, and to know and understand who you are as a person, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what motivates you, um, areas of growth, um, I, I think if you're going to be an effective leader and you want to be authentic, because I think people will pick up on that quickly if you're not, that mm -hmm. you need to work on being healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and number two, and I put an asterisk by this, I would say if you remembered nothing else from this as a leader, is learn and develop the ability to put your people first. And there's, there's books written on this, and this is something I believe, and I... I want my people to shine. I want, um, when I walk in the door, I, I, I want my goal to be to honor God first, but number two, to help my people be successful in terms of their growth, in terms of their day-to-day -day activities, and probably even more importantly, to um, grow as people. 
to, you know, develop their character. Mm -hmm. I think, and, and that is so hard for young leaders as we come into it and we want to prove ourselves. We want to prove that we're good enough and mm -hmm. um, everybody to look at us and, and think well of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, but maybe this comes with maturity. I'm just not in need of those things anymore. I really, my great satisfaction is um, putting my people first. And I think a, a leader needs to learn that, especially a, a new leader. Um, I would say also, and I just had an experience today. I, I think you have to own your imperfections or own your mistakes. Mm. You know, Brene Brown wrote a book, The, the Gift of Imperfection. Mm. Wonderful book. Um, and I really I've read a, a bit of her stuff and have been so impressed. And I, when you make a mistake as a leader and you're going, trust me, you're going to, I, I make them every day. Mm. I may say something wrong or want to handle something differently. Own it. Don't hide mm -hmm. it. I pretend it's not there. Uh, if you need to go to the person and just be honest, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm, I did, I handled that wrong or I, I'm sorry, I said it that way. It's okay. Uh, they will learn to trust you, that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I have gone to, today I do the orthotics here, and um, our front office manager had come to me and say, a patient called and she wants to know where her orthotics are. And I said, I never received the receipt that she paid for them for you. Therefore, I have not ordered them. Mm. So she went away and I walked into my office and guess what I had received and what I had already done. Oh. I did receive them. I already done them. Mm. So I went to her and I said, I am sorry. I am wrong. You did give it to me. Mm. Um, uh, and I just forgot. I set it aside. It's my bad. And she says, I know. I, I said, listen, I need to know you're going to speak the truth to me. If I make a mistake, I need to know that you're going to respectfully call me on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just part of me owning my mistake. And I think, I think a leader has to be comfortable with themselves to do that. If mm -hmm. your people are going to trust you and rely on you, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a weakness. Mm-hmm. I think that you hit I think you hit on quite a few points and I know that I've experienced this in my time in university that people when they are trying to learn something or they're new in a position like you said they want to prove themselves right. they don't want to show that vulnerability or that weakness I was always that student that was willing to ask questions and I wasn't ashamed of what I didn't know because you know, if I didn't know it and it was my fault that I should have read it, you know, then by all means, I would go back and study it. Or maybe I wasn't the only one that was missing this information. But in being in, in a, the leadership role, the stakes feel a lot higher when you don't know and people are looking to you for advice or for, for guidance or to pave the way for the staff. And then you don't know. It's scary. But I think you share, sharing that story, it just illustrates the importance of that vulnerability. And you actually had recommended the other Brene Brown book to me years ago while I was in university called Daring Greatly. Yes. And I read that book. Yes. So 
Although it's hard and the stakes feel higher because more people are looking at you and it's not just your own knowledge at stake of you not knowing or making a mistake, but the team that you're leading, it's much better to just tell the truth and to have that authentic experience and to be imperfect and then to heal from that. And I too have had some of my staff members correct me, but I would much rather have them do that and correct me personally rather than it become a bigger issue down the line. You know, but there's a there's a Norwegian poet named Piet Hein, and his it's a very famous Norwe- Norwegian quote. Um, uh, Wisdom comes from making mistakes only less and less often. Mm. So yeah, you as a long, young leader, you'll probably make a few more than I do, but that's going to happen less and less often as you mm-hmm. mature and develop. Don't be afraid of making them. Own them when they come. You mm-hmm. don't know, tell your people. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm going to find out or I'm going to work it out and I'm going to get back to you. They'll accept mm-hmm. that. They'll respect right. you for that. I think that's really good advice for young leaders is to be open about what we know and don't know, to be authentic, to seek counsel when possible and be willing to admit those mistakes if we do make them and yeah. charge on. I mean, mistakes happen if you yeah. just own it and apologize. And that's the other thing. Don't, don't diminish it. That's something that really bothers me with leaders. If they're like, Oh yeah, I made that mistake, whatever. Can you just fix it now? And they brush it off. I don't like that. Mm, I don't either. You know, just apologize and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I gave this misinformation or that was my mistake. Just truly address it, apologize, and move on. I have so much more respect for them. And that's what I do. I will give someone a, a, a heartfelt apology if I made a mistake. Yeah. And then hopefully it will continue the professional relationship in a much better place. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and if I may add one more thing, and I think this is vital to, to advice for a new leader, is I think you need to know what your convictions are, know what your foundation and your life is. Because leadership, um, it can be a grind, it can be a challenge, it can be lonely. It, it is lonely. Um, but you better know what your foundations are. Uh, me as a Christian, my foundation is I want to please God first. Mm-hmm. Everything comes from that. So no matter what happens, I have that relationship. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's for everybody. I wish it was. Mm-hmm. But know what yours are. And mm-hmm. work towards your convictions and stay in that lane because um, you're going to get pulled, man. Sometimes you've got to mm-hmm. stand up all by yourself and say, no, this is how <laughs> we're going to do it. This is what my conviction are. And win, lose, or draw, I can live with the results. Right. And Knowing your values. Got to find that place. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a really great point in knowing your values and what's most important to you and serving God. And then I think you had mentioned that yours was also integrity and intellectual curiosity and kind of having those key principles as part of your leadership philosophy as well. Yeah, absolutely right. In the beginning part of this, we had talked about uh, some advice for new leaders and being healthy ourselves, but- when we're working with a team, how do we maintain a positive and healthy work culture? And what should we do if the environment has become negative? How do we maintain a positive culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm a big believer in consistency. Um, 
I try to be the same person every day. I try to be not artificially, but uh, be thankful when I walk in the door. Um, communication is huge. When things fall apart here, it's when people are not communicating. Um, or when they're behaving passively, passive aggressively. So I coach our team consistently. If you have a, and those negatives typically come because you have an issue with somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. haven't got to them. So you're talking to all your buddies in your office. No, 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 no. (laughs) That does not fly. So they are coached that if you have an issue with somebody, you very respectfully give it 24 hours, take them in my office without me there and say, Hey, here was my experience. Um, I'm not comfortable with it. Can we work through this? Um, and they do. And it's hard. Confrontation is hard, but confrontation is part of life. Mm-hmm. Because it's healthy confrontation. I think that's a that in and of itself often stops that negative, um, I don't know if I call it energy, but that negativity because it immediately short circuits those uh, deteriorating relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's just number one in my experience. You have to confront lovingly, caringly, however, whatever adjective you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I handle it when it's gone bad? I think that was the second part of your question. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on the individual situation. Uh, I typically like to address it as a group. I will take the group involved and I will discuss it with them without naming names, without pointing fingers as a whole. Here is an issue that has arisen and we've had to deal, do this with COVID. Mm. Here's an issue that has arisen. Here's where we are as a clinic and here's why. Here's the research we've done. We care about you guys. We want you to be healthy, but we are going to stay true to science Mm. as an example. Mm. Um, and then if I have any individuals coming off the reservation, once I've discussed it as a group, then I speak to them in a timely manner, privately and mm-hmm. directly, respectfully. Mm-hmm. I never raise my voice. Um, but we don't want to sweep another way. We want to deal with it directly. Many people have a hard time with confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's like, in, in the list of fears, it's like number one, two, or three. They, they will mm. cut off their arm before they confront somebody. <sighs> Man, don't fear the moment. Mm-hmm. Have an outline of what you want to say. Do it lovingly. Do it respectfully. But that's that's part of life. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's that's where I go with it. I think that's really great, and I'm sure that. My mom has mentioned one of her favorite books to recommend to people is Caring Enough to Confront. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has. Anytime. Yes. Yes. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think that that relates to the workplace, but doing it, like you said, respectfully, lovingly and caring, caring enough about the outcome in the workplace and the environment and culture, because let's be honest, 
as much as maybe we want to be heard or we want to be understood, no one wants to work in a negative environment or a place where they feel uncomfortable. Nobody wants that. So if you have to be uncomfortable just briefly to have a a confrontation with an employee or with a fellow staff member to address something that was said, you know, get it over for the moment and move on so that everyone can enjoy a more positive and productive environment. Ditto. And it's shocking Mm -hmm. how difficult that is for people. It's just, just Mm -hmm. shocking. Leaders. Right. Leaders have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. Any way around it. Um, I've sent out an email (laughs) before. If if there's a problem, I would rather speak to you face to face. Right. Well, especially if the leader is, you know, struggling with some insecurities or still trying to figure out their own kind of leadership style or dealing with some people pleasing. Maybe they're not sure how they want to confront it or who they are upsetting or not wanting to be perceived as taking sides. So I really like the method that you have of having the people involved address it privately amongst themselves before it needs to be addressed by you, the supervisor. Right. And we all have to have a buy-in. I mean, we all have had to give each other permission to do that mm-hmm. because, you know, what goes around comes around. So if I, some, I expect somebody else to listen to me, I'm going to listen to them and I expect them to come to me. So um, mm-hmm. that's part of that modeling too. I think with me as a leader, they all, and I've told them probably 20 times, you can say <laughs> what you want to me privately you question a decision if you don't like something i do you can say it privately and respectfully and i'll either give them a rationale or you can change my mind and have that freedom Um, and a few have taken me up on it but it's Mm got to go both ways so if i'm going to confront somebody i have to let them have that conversation with me now at the end of the day we may not agree and it's it's going to have to be my way but (laughs) um, and there's a certain advantage to that right um, mm-hmm. nevertheless, they, they do get to be heard. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm reminded of a, a work day that I had a couple weeks ago where I had a vision of some things that I wanted to be done in the department and how I wanted things to, to be moved and managed. Um, and it just reminded me because you said, if we have this difference, you know, it's going to go my way. And, It was challenging for me because I had an idea of where I wanted the department to go and how I wanted things to be changed. But ultimately, what happened at the end of the day, after multiple discussions with different people in different departments, I ended up getting nothing the way I wanted. Not a single thing. (laughs) But my staff was happy. It was what my staff wanted. So I wanted two things. And some of my staff members did not want that. They were one was in firm objection and the other one just had preferred something different and gave, gave a reason why. And I thought about it. Would I rather push for what I want and make them upset or force them to comply with what I want? Because I think that this is, you know, possibly a good direction or let them be happy with what they wanted and what they wanted. There really was nothing wrong with what they wanted. And I had to come to that decision as, as the leader that I would rather have the morale of my staff and have move forward with what they wanted since it didn't actually impact our mission or our ability to perform work, but it kept them happy. And when the decision came that they were going to get what they wanted, they were very happy. Right. 
but it was such an interesting day for me as a leader because I was like pumped up. I had this great idea, wanted it to go this and that way. And I was ready to make a change and none of it happened. And I put forth so much emotional energy having these conversations, trying to discuss and convince and then also compassionately absorb the emotions that were being expressed from my staff when they were unhappy with what I had proposed. And then in the end, I ended up not even moving forward with what I had wanted. So just an interesting experience because it was one of those times where I really had to think how much am I willing to push and say, I'm the leader. This is what I want. I'm going to do it my way. But I was able to, in that time, thankfully take a step back, think about the bigger picture, what's most important, you know, the morale of my staff and the mission at hand. And is it going to impact our mission or not? You know, I loved about that story is you let them be heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a leader, you let them be heard. And then in that instance, you put your people first. Mm-hmm. And that's that asterisk sign I made earlier. I, that's um, that's going to go a long way in them believing in you, trusting you, respecting you. Um, they'll know that they'll be able to be heard when they need to be. And that you take it seriously. That's They know you put them first there. They knew what you mm-hmm. wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we're just kind of setting the foundation for our relationship as it grows, you know, but yeah, sure. it just kind of reminded me of that experience because that was my first chance where it was like, I'm going to pave the way with my bright idea. Yeah, I did. I had a vision. vision. Yeah. No, it didn't work, but it's okay. They're happy. So yeah. Um, this has been a really great discussion talking about um, some leadership and creating a positive work environment and kind of sharing our experiences. But I know that you also have a lot of experience interviewing and hiring people and hiring new grads. So can we dive in and talk a little bit about that? Some advice for interviewees and and new graduates that are maybe stepping into the professional realm. I know that I certainly have experienced the benefit of having professional experience prior to graduate school and then stepping into the professional world after. But there's quite a lot of people that just go straight from college into university level and don't have that professional experience. So maybe you can shed some light for them. And what tips can you give listeners about interviewing for a new job and stepping into that professional role? I could tell interview stories for six hours here. (laughs) Done <laughs> probably you know two or three hundred over the years, and I continue to be shocked <laughs> sometimes. Um, number one, and I think probably most people that do a lot of inter- interviews would tell you this: um, I expect them to have done their homework. Um, I, I, if you're going to go into an interview, do some research on the facility that you're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, know their mission. Does their mission line up with yours? Mm. Um, I had a, a young lady who was a former employee who was going to come back, went through the interview, went through a couple months of that whole process and actually was ready to hire her. At the last minute, she says, you know what? I realized I don't want to do orthopedics. I want to do this. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you not do your research? Do you not know? I didn't say this. Mm. <laughs> so does their mission line up with yours? Does their purpose line up with yours? Know if there's somebody there who's going to be a mentor. Mm. 
you know, as a new, as a new professional, that first job or two, in my experience, are probably going to be the most important in your life. Hmm. School is wonderful, and it gets you ready to pass your boards, and it gets you that basic skill set. But if you pick the right place, your learning in those first five years is going to be set the foundation for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. So I always advise those first five years do not make money a concern. You pick the best location whose mission and beliefs line up with yours, who has a mentor that you can access and learn from. Um, number one, dress well. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have to say that, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I am just shocked at some of the things that people show up mm-hmm. wearing immediately. I mean, if I walk in and, and they're, they haven't spent some time on themselves, uh, you know, I want to end the interview in five seconds because mm-hmm. it's just not, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Come and when you're answering questions, don't dominate the conversation. Limit your, your answers to a minute or two. Um, and perhaps it's nerves, but you'd, you'd be surprised at how many people in interviews will answer and, and take five minutes to give an answer. In an interview, mm-hmm. I had one gentleman who, highly experienced, skilled therapist, 10 minute answers. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I had come in on the weekend, so I, had, I wasn't backed up to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked three questions, and it took a half hour. 10 mm-hmm. minute answers. Um, so be mindful of that, but come in and ask questions. I I love it when people come and they have six, seven, eight questions of me after I've done with my part Mm -hmm. that are thoughtful. That tells me they've done their research, that they are interested in what we do, that they are interested uh, all those things I had previously stated. And one little hint that I have learned um, that really touched me is I've had a couple people over the years, um, after the interview, they will either give a card or send an email immediately and express their appreciation for the conversation, Mm. express what they liked, recap some of the conversation, just that extra touch and in both cases, I hired them, or we hired mm. um, I was just so moved by that because it was just that extra effort that, that, and thoughtfulness that to me reflected probably who they are to everybody. Out of that many interviews, you've only had two that Shocked, I've written. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm appalled, yeah, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, oh, my goodness. <laughs> is that that surprises you huh that it's so rare yes yeah. yes yeah. i have never not written a thank you card or an email after an interview yeah but that's who you are i can't imagine if i was truly interested in the job i mean i guess the length of time that i wait before i send the letter determines how interested i am in the job if i'm like the hour after versus oh I'll wait 24 hours kind of thing but i always send something I had one girl leave, came back in a half hour later and handed me the card directly. She said, 
thank you for your time. I just want to give you this. Um, I could not hire her fast enough. And it was oh, a sweet. thoughtful, personalized. She wasn't kissing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she treated, uh, if she was that thoughtful, she's going to be that way with her patients. Mm-hmm. I mean, your patients are going to love her. And they did. I've done that before. I've like, I've brought a card with me when I interviewed for, um, uh, an internship position. And then I went in the car and I wrote the card and then I walked back in and dropped it off at the receptionist desk because I, I thought, gosh, how am I going to mail this and get it back to them? I might as well do it while I'm here and just, you know, but I didn't want to pre-write it because that seems disingenuous, no, you, that. you know? Right. Yeah. that seemed, Yeah. I don't want to just hand them a card that says, thank you for interviewing me as soon as it's done. You want to include some very specific things. Yeah. But yeah, I am just shocked. Only did you to. learn those skills in school? Where did you pick up those traits? Gary, of course, my mom. <laughs> Come on. I know. Yeah. And grandma. Well, you know, our family sends cards like no oh. others. Yes. So, I mean, even in our family, like if I, if we got a gift and then you didn't like send a text message or a card back saying, thank you for this, they'd be like, wait, did you not receive it? Right. So they're very big into that communication, but I think it was also a respect thing. And even my dad has talked to me a lot about the respect and the business relationships and how you cultivate those relationships. So right. both of my parents have reinforced that, but um, I think my mom was much more in favor of the handwriting and my dad was more in favor of the emails, but then kind of as technology has advanced, it's just kind of dependent on the situation. If I got to meet with the people in person, then I would give them a handwritten card if I had the means to deliver it in that regard. But when I interviewed to join the army, I, I it was a phone interview and I just had a few emails and I even had to request another person's email address from somebody that was on the email so that I could write him a thank you because mm-hmm. I didn't originally have his, you know, yeah. um, but I still had to make contact with everybody that was on the interview panel in some way. But yeah. I think that it was definitely reinforced by family. And then as I've continued professionally, I, I see the value in it. Yeah. Don't think they weren't all impressed by that because uh, trust me, not everybody does it. I see as for me, it just seemed like that was kind of completing the process, whether I got the job or not, it would yeah. feel incomplete if I did not do that. Yeah. Apparently your mm-hmm. profession is different than mine in that regard. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe the, a few more of us <laughs> will hear this and understand the importance of that. Yeah. Hey, physical therapists, yeah. audiologists are writing thank you cards. Yeah, express something, <laughs> some appreciation for your time. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely rare. <laughs> oh, I'm so surprised by that. Yeah. Well, hmm. So on that thread of, of t- working with graduates and yeah. n- new graduate students, um, what has your experience been like developing professionals and what are some advice, what's some advice that you have for professionalism in the workplace for either student interns or new professionals? Yeah, we have a lot of interns. We, we hire a number of new grads as well. So I think that's a, a relevant question. Um, number one uh, uh, that I ask them, and sometimes I don't need to, is you need to leave yourself stuff at the door. Mm. So when you walk in the door, you're here for your patient. Um, the patient is not here to hear about your problems or your issues or that relationship may develop. And then in the course of 
just organically in the conversation, but um, our profession, the American Physical Therapy, Therapy Association, had done a, it's a nationwide study, I think it was about five years ago, on patient satisfaction and what were the primary variables that led to patient satisfaction. Hmm. And I present on this once a year. I think it was so relevant. Number one variable in patient satisfaction was emotional health of their physical therapist. Mm. And they elaborated further, and it was that therapist being there for the patient in a consistent um, manner. They didn't have to be jovial or anything, but consistent. They were not dumping their personal stuff on the patient. Um, and that speaks volume. I mean, that was a nationwide survey. Mm -hmm. So patients recognize that they're, um, they sacrifice a lot to get her time, money. For us, they're here three days a week often. Mm -hmm. um, so they're here, you know, they're trusting us and we need to be there for them. Be healthy, be supportive. Um, in some cases, this, is their own, this may be their only social, social outlet. So leave your self stuff at the door. Hmm. Um, I've already talked about the importance of being intellectually curious, especially as a new grad. Hmm. The interesting dichotomy of that is that some new grads tend to be the least intellectually curious, or at least express it the least. Hmm. And I found in my career, I have been able to work with some very elite therapists over the years. And I have found that the more elite therapists ask more questions. Hmm. The higher skilled people who you would consider as knowing the most, ask the most questions and are unashamed by it. Hmm. And I suppose, I'm assuming a lot of this is just personal security, but I think it is. Hmm personality trait, they're there because they are intellectually curious and are constantly learning and are unafraid of appearing to not know something because they want to know it. That supersedes their fear and anxieties of somebody thinking they don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a real challenge, just that daily. I would say that's one of my biggest challenges especially newer professionals, being intellectually curious and expressing it. Hmm. Um, I get the whole, the whole range of that. Mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned kind of my own personal experience, be intentional. Um, you, you should be really intentionally studying, learning, um, uh, finding that mentor, finding that person that you can go to wherever you work and learn from them. Mm -hmm. uh, trust me, they want to hear from you. <laughs> Ask them questions. <laughs> it's shocking. It's shocking how rare that happens. Um, uh, and disappointing, yet some mm -hmm. who I know are going to be outstanding therapists do ask the questions. Mm -hmm. So I can usually, we can usually tell pretty quickly who's going to be what. Um, and I guess the other thing would be you're in a giving profession uh, that can be draining. Mm -hmm. 
you sometimes will do wonderful work and make a huge difference in their life and the patient takes credit for it. Hmm. Yeah, I did this stretch in the morning and suddenly I feel better. Well, it couldn't be that previous month of work that you did. So you better know <laughs> why you better know why you do this. Mm-hmm. You better know your why. That Simon Sinek book, you mm-hmm. know, start with why. Mm-hmm. You better know why you do what was that original drive for you? Typically mm-hmm. it was to help people. Mm-hmm. Make a difference in people's lives. Whether they always acknowledge it or not, whether you get praise for it. Stay with that original spark um, in those dark times and those exhausted times. That's mm-hmm. why you do it, um, and don't forget it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of intellectual curiosity and the books and resources that have helped you develop as a leader, what are some of the primary books or resources that you would recommend for young leaders to pick up? as they're developing? Oh, man, I could, I could make a list. Uh, I will tell you this. There is a really excellent podcast out now that I, it's the one podcast as leadership that I go to all the time. It's called mm-hmm. The Learning Leader. Mm-hmm. It's by a, a former um, college football player, quarterback uh, named Ryan Hawk. His brother played for the Packers. It is consistently excellent. He interviews mm-hmm. some of the greatest minds, in, in, the leaders in the world. Um, and it's amazing that he gets them and they're open and he has hour-long conversations. I would have loved to have that when I started as a leader. Mm-hmm. I continue to learn from, from that every week. It's thoughtful. Mm-hmm. It's thorough. It's, it's diverse. Um, it challenges me. Um, so any new leader, that should be a part of their weekly chore. Um, Tim Ferriss has a good podcast that he covers leadership a lot. Very, you know, bright, bright guy. Your military generals and admirals who have written books on leadership, those guys are, to a man, inveterate readers. Um, so one common trait is they read all the time. Hmm. Um, uh, General, I think it was General Kelly has like, you know, thousands and thousands of books, all of which he've read, he's read. And these guys, hmm. are, you know, Teddy Roosevelt read, forget the number, but he would like three books a day. What? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, um, those are always good resources. And then find people in history that you respect. Hmm. And do your research and find who's done good biographies on them. Um, people who have just made a difference um, currently in starting on some books on Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. You talk about a leader um, and relevant to this, this day and age. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, different people, different times, but um, their examples and you learn not only who they were as a leader, but their struggles and their humanness. Mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy Great leader, very human guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of flaws, but a wonderful leader. So mm. thankfully, we can be good leaders and be flawed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, Nikki, I, I guess I would answer that. I would leave that answer there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? 
No, I uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate your questions and your interest. Uh, it was enjoyable. Excellent. Well, this has really been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise and your personal stories and practical advice. I hope that there are some young new leaders and new grads or current students that can glean some insight from this and maybe some introverts that will realize <laughs> their superpowers. Amen. <laughs> well, thanks, Gary. Have a great day. You too, Nikki. Keep up the fight. Talk to you later. <laughs> bye. All right, bye. Bye.